0: Today's scripture reading is taken from Acts chapter 22, verses 1 to 21. Acts chapter 22, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, finding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, And I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing my being said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him, and he said to me, "Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles.":
1: Thanks, Ling, for reading scripture. I sound funny.: Thanks, Yiling, for reading scripture for us. Uh, let's go to God in prayer again as we prepare our hearts to hear His word. Dear Father, as we've just sung, indeed our hearts are prone to wonder. And Father, we pray that You would seal our hearts by Your Spirit, help us to listen well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we all like inspiring stories about people, uh, you know, tales of human courage, perseverance of dramatic transformations and unwavering hope in the midst of trouble. You know, Hollywood knows this. So, you know, there are loads of movies uh, about these kinds of inspiring human interest stories. Uh, You know, just Google top inspiring movies, you know, you get a whole list of of movies that, you know, some of them could be worth watching. Uh, A a personal favorite of our families is this really old movie called It's a Wonderful Life. Not sure, you know, maybe way past most of our times. (laughs) It's It's a movie from the 1940s, so when movies were still in black and white but it's a, one, you know, it's a really good movie. Uh, it's, it's a movie that people watch during Christmas time, and that's something that we do as a family as well. It's A Wonderful Life, Oh, old James Stewart movie. If you haven't seen it, it, it is on Netflix. Just give you some ideas of movies to watch. <laughs> uh, you know, why do we enjoy inspiring stories so much? You know? well, I think one reason is because they make us hopeful by reminding us of our humanity. Now, these kinds of inspiring stories encourage us to, to look beyond ourselves, to, to look beyond our circumstances, and to hope for something better. Now, is this why you're here this morning? Is this why we're gathered this morning? We, we all hope for something better. Now, some of us might be looking for something or someone who can transform our lives to make us the person that we long to be, to make us better. Now Today we'll hear the story of uh, the Apostle Paul, a man who was radically transformed. But this is not just uh, any other story of human courage and hope. The hero of this story is actually not Paul himself. The hero of this story is God himself. It's a story of how God intervenes dramatically in Paul's life, it's a story of, of how God transforms Paul from a persecutor of Christians to a proclaimer of the very faith that he once tried to destroy. Paul, God transforms Paul from an enemy of the faith to a follower and friend of Jesus Christ. Now what, what does Paul's story have to do with us? Now, is this like watching a feel-good movie that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside, but you know, after that, ultimately leaves us unchanged? I, I hope not, because as we consider this God who transforms Paul, this is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This, this same God who turned Paul's life around is the same God who is able to transform us and to make us new people. Now, this is why Paul's story is so important. It's so important that it's actually mentioned three times in the book of Acts, in chapters 9, chapters 26, and and here in our text, chapter 22. Uh, Luke's point in in repeating this story is because he's trying to encourage us to to look to this same God who's able to transform us by His power and grace. Paul's story shows us the, the miracle of conversion, when God calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Uh, so this is a story that we all need to hear, whether we are Christians or whether we are not Christians. This is the story that we all need to hear, including those of us who have been Christians for a really long time. You know, it, it's so easy for us to lose sight of what God has done in our lives, and is doing and will do in our lives. So this is something that we need to hear. So let's dive in. Uh, What do we learn about conversion from this text? Number one, God moves first in conversion. Now Paul tells his conversion story in verses three to twenty-one. That text that was just read for us. This story is really his response to an angry crowd of Jews who are accusing him of speaking against their Jewish religion, and they're also wrongly accusing Paul of bringing a Gentile Trophimus into the temple, which was strictly off-limits to non-Jews. Now, how how did Paul end up in this spot, you know, where he's facing an unfriendly audience? Now, we need to rewind a bit to look at chapter 21. So, in chapter 21, uh, Paul visits the church in Jerusalem. He he visits James and the church elders there, and he tells them, you know, that God is doing a great work among the Gentiles. And they they hear this report from Paul, and they rejoice. They, They give thanks to God for what He's doing among the Gentiles. But at the same time, James and the church elders in Jerusalem they raised a concern with Paul as well. They say, "Hey, hey, Paul, we're so happy that God is working through you with, for the Gentiles. But you know, there's this one concern that we need to raise with you. It's this: uh, there's some false rumors about you that have been spreading, and these false rumors say that you've been teaching the Jews to forsake the Old Testament law, especially." the law of circumcision. Uh, so, so James and the, and the church elders, they, they present this plan of action to Paul. Say, hey, Paul, you know, these, you're facing these rumors. This Here's what we suggest to you. Uh, why don't you ceremonially purify yourself according to Jewish custom? And at the same time, you know, there these four guys who are uh, un, you know, fulfilling a vow, probably a Nazareth vow, why don't you pay for their offering at the temple? So you take these four guys with you, and then you yourself go and ceremonially purify yourself at the temple. Uh, So James and the church elders are suggesting to Paul that if he does this publicly at the temple, then he can be seen to be a faithful Jew, and all the rumors about him hopefully can be dispelled. So Paul thinks, okay, it's a reasonable suggestion, I'll I'll go to the temple and and I'll do these things. But the plan seems to backfire. Paul shows up at the temple. He, he's spotted by some Jews from Asia, probably Ephesus, and they recognize him. Hey, hey that, that's that troublemaker that you know, we've seen in Ephesus before. So what do they do? They, they stir up the crowd, and then they, they kind of grab Paul, and they would have killed him if the Roman soldiers had not intervened. Kind of ironic. You know, the Jew is saved by the Romans from the Jews themselves. And, and the Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, he allows Paul to speak to the crowd and to defend himself Against their accusations. Now, this is when Paul tells his story of conversion. Now, he's telling them, hey, this is how I became a follower of Jesus. You know, the first point that Paul makes in his defense is that, look, he's always been a devout Jew. You know, you see how Paul respectfully identifies himself with the crowd? You know, what does he call them? Brothers and fathers. Those are very respectful terms. He says, hey, I'm I'm one of you. I recognize you as my fellow brothers. And he he speaks to them in Aramaic, which is the language of the Jews. He chooses Aramaic rather than Greek so that he's able to communicate them in the language of the Hebrews. And in in verses 3 to 5, Paul describes his Jewish heritage and credentials. He tells them, I was born a Jew. I was raised in Jerusalem. You know, I I studied with uh, Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a really famous Jewish teacher at that time. You know, it's like saying, "Hey, I I went to the top university. You know, my educational credentials are very solid. You can trust me because I studied with the top guy. And and then, you know, so he says to his accusers that if if you guys are are zealous for God, I I am at least as zealous for God as you are, if, if not even more so. You know, he says, I was so full of zeal that, that I went about persecuting Christians. You know, Paul says, I would go about arresting both men and women, uh, even putting some of them to death. Uh, and what, what Paul says here, not not sort of echoes what he says in Philippians 3. You know, he says there, if, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, because Paul was a devout Jew, he was trying to tell the crowd, look, I I would never do anything against the Jewish nation. I'm, I'm a faithful Jew. Indeed, Paul was a respectable Jew. All his life, Paul had made a name for himself by being a good Pharisee. But what's interesting in in Paul's story is that God had other plans for Paul, didn't he? You know, God intervened in Paul's life and he called Paul to salvation and service. You know, what's interesting in Paul's story is that Paul wasn't looking to be converted. Paul was not looking to be converted. You know, maybe this is how some of us have become Christians as well. You know, we kind of live life as usual, life was good, you know, we were satisfied with the status quo. Ah, but, then, but then God opens our hearts and then He calls us to Himself and he, he finds us even though we were not looking for Him. And indeed, the, the change that we were looking for is, is not even the change that we really need. But, but God finds us and He brings us to Himself just like He does with Paul. You know, God calls us because of His grace and mercy. Paul didn't earn God's calling. You know, in fact, Paul was on the way to Damascus to do what? To find Christians, to persecute them. You know, if if anyone was as far from Jesus as you can imagine, it would be the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul was the guy that you see, oh, I, I don't think this guy will believe the gospel. I think we better not share the gospel with him because he's just going to respond badly. You know, Paul is the guy that you give, you know, you avoid sharing the gospel with because you just think that he's so far away. You know, Paul was that guy. And, and yet, in that moment, Jesus found Paul first. You know, God, God's the one who, who seeks us. God is the one who, who pursues us, who, who runs after us. Now, God is the one who, who finds us by His grace. God is the one who, who takes the initiative. He doesn't wait there and fold His hands and think, okay, you know, if, if you make a move, then maybe I will come to you. No, God God's the one who, who takes the initiative and He, he finds us. I, I, do, you, do you feel far from God this morning? Maybe you're sitting there and you're wondering, is, is this God for me? You know, I, I feel that I've, you know, maybe you're thinking, I, I feel that I've done so much in my life that's put me far from God. Maybe I need to kind of begin to get my life together again before I start looking for God. Well, the good news of Paul's story is that God doesn't wait. God doesn't tell us, hey, go fix your life first and then I'll meet you. No, no, God pursues us, even as we are far, far from Him. This is the God of amazing, amazing grace. God moves first in conversion. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And you were dead being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, this God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Every one of us, if we are a follower of Jesus, there is a but God moment in our lives. But God. You know, the two most most wonderful words in all of Scripture, but God. We were all dead in our sins, we had no spiritual lives because we had all turned away from God, who is the source of true life. But God, according to His mercy, grace and love, He, He called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. And for some of us, God's call in our lives may have been sudden and dramatic, but for others of us, you know, it may have been more gradual. So you know, I, I love hearing conversion stories of, of you all. You know, one of the things that we do when we invite friends over to our home is you know, we sit around the table and we ask, so how did you become a Christian? You know, we love hearing stories of conversion. Why? Because these stories remind us of God's active grace, that He's at work in all of our lives. You know, our, our stories may be different, the, the circumstances of our stories may be different, but if you, you, you dig a bit deeper, behind all these different circumstances is really the same gracious God who's called us. You know, it's so, a so wonderful way to pass your time, maybe over lunch today, you know, over coffee later. You know, if you, if you don't know how each other have become Christians, why not take the time, ask each other, hey, tell me how you became a Christian? I'd love to know. You know. Do you know each other's conversion stories? Do you, do you know how God has, you know, have you shared with someone else how God has called you to Himself? You know, it's a wonderful way to just get to know each other. Just Ask each other, hey, how, how, have you, how did you become a Christian? Maybe in your CGs even, as you go around sharing your stories, talk about how you became a Christian. Remind one another of God's living grace in your lives. I became a Christian as a university student. You know, I was a churchgoer before that, was active in youth group for a long time. So when I went to university in London, I had the, I had the habit of going to church, you know, by, by God's mercy. So the first thing I did when I showed up in, in London for studies was to find a church. Attended church faithfully. But I was usually the the you know, the last in church and the first out of church. You know, they they used to do a, a lunch at church every Sunday, you know, people would gather after the service to have lunch. I would never join them. It's okay, I'm just gonna be here and the first chance I get I'm gonna leave. So I did that for about a year and a half. And then sometime in my, probably in my second year of university, I remember sitting in service, hearing a sermon. I don't even remember the text, sorry. <laughs> I don't remember the text of the sermon, but I remember hearing the sermon, and at the end of the sermon, you know, this, this thought came to my mind. You know, I've just heard the gospel. I've just heard about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to repent of my sin and to put my faith in the Son of God. And then I thought to myself, I don't think I'm a Christian. No, that's why I thought to myself, I, I don't think I'm a Christian. You know, I've, I've been going to church, I've been active, serving here and there. But at, at a moment, I realized the, the, the gospel hadn't quite taken root in my heart. So I remember at that, after hearing that sermon in that service, I just prayed, God, forgive me. You know, I, I really need to repent and to turn back to You. So, so that's how I became a Christian. You know, God was really gracious in my life. You know, he, he had kind of given me Christian habits, even though I wasn't a Christian, and He put me under the faithful preaching of the Word. And, and I think I give thanks to God for the fruit I saw after that. I actually began, I, I began to stick around at church, I began to have lunch with people, began to actually share my faith with my friends at school. You know, before that, before I was a Christian, you know, I, I kind of thought, yeah, you know, witnessing is a good thing to do, but I don't want to tell people I'm a Christian because that, that might make Christianity look bad. You know? <laughs> so, so I never shared the faith with anyone. But after that, I began to trust in Christ and I, I began to see this fruit in my life. And I, and I thank God for that. that. That's the story of God's grace in my life. And I'm sure many of us can share similar stories. I pray that we'll do that with one another. You know, how, how should we respond to this gracious God? I think the only right response is to draw near to Him. You know, stop, stop running away. You know, draw, draw near to Him. God, God has taken the initiative to draw near to us. The, the fact that He moves first should encourage us to come to Him. He's a personal God who, who knows us. He doesn't just know us, He desires us, desires for us to know Him. To find Him. You know, this ought to open our hearts to one another as well. This should motivate us to be a truly welcoming community. And because God has taken the initiative to move to us, we can also take the initiative to move towards others. You know, this, is, this is why I wear a name tag. <laughs> you know, this is my small effort at trying to move towards others. Because I realized that you know, some, some among us here are, are new. You know, there, there are visitors among us. And God calls us, because He's taken the initiative to move to us, He now calls us to take the initiative to move to others. Especially others who are new, others who are strangers, others who are different from us. I think God calls us by His grace to move, to take the initiative. He called us while we were still sinners, invited us to draw near to Him, will we also welcome others? You know, if they come here with their messy lives, will we welcome others if they don't dress like us, if they don't talk like us, if they don't have the kind of jobs that we have or they don't live in the kinds of homes that we live? Will we welcome them as God has welcomed us? You know, for example, we, we reach out in the community and we regularly get children from the community here among us, either through the reading program or the tuition ministry. And you know, I'd love for these children that come through these programs to be able to you know, even spend time with us on a Sunday, to be a part of our children's ministry on a Sunday, whether it's Sunday school or, or something else. I, I know, you know, that, that takes effort, that takes... Uh, Things, things that we need to do on our part to make ourselves more welcoming to these children from the community. Teachers might need to teach differently. Children might need to learn how to interact with children who are not like them. You know, but, but this is what God has done for us. And I think a response to His grace is that we too take the initiative to move towards others, especially those who are not like us. A second response is be humble. Be humble. How many of us struggle with pride? Okay, the rest of you are just liars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our, our pride in ourselves, uh, you know, I think it, pride oftentimes breeds, uh, breeds a sense of entitlement in our hearts. You know, how do you know you're proud? You, know, you begin to say things like, hey, I deserve better. <laughs> you know, I, I deserve to be heard. Uh, I, I deserve to have my needs and my desires satisfied. I, I deserve a better life. You know, all, all that is just evidence of pride in our hearts. You know, we get upset with people because we, we think that these people pff, haven't given us what we deserve. You know, I'm upset with my children because my children haven't given me what I deserve, which is a quiet evening at home without the need for any discipline. You know, so I get upset with them, right? Not because they, they're disobedient, but because they've not given me what I deserve. You know, we, we, maybe some of us get angry with God as well. You know, God, you've not given me what I deserve, a, a better life. But, but what if God really gave us what we deserved? Have you thought about that? What if God really gave us what we deserved? You know, God alone deserves worship, adoration. He, he alone deserves uh, complete obedience. You know, he made us for himself, but we have all turned our backs on him. You know, what, what we really deserve from God it's not his love, it's not his mercy. You know, what we really deserve from God is His wrath, His rightful judgment against us. Because we've spat in His face, we've we've shaken our fist before Him, we've turned our backs on Him, every single one of us. But praise God that this this God does not give us what we deserve, that this God gives us His beloved Son. And, And if God has freely given us His Son, how can we still feel a sense of entitlement? If God's given us His Son, how, how can we not be gracious? Because we've received such amazing grace. You know, how, how can we still be proud? Uh, you know, what do we have that we did not receive? You know, I, I pray that we would be a humble people, and I think one way that our humility will show itself in how, is in how we communicate to one another. You know, before we send that email, to one another. You know, it's worthwhile just pausing. And before you send off that email to one another, ask you know, Does this email reflect the grace of God in our lives? Does this email reflect the graciousness of God? You know, I, I hope that before we send that email out to one another, we, we just pause and think about that. And I hope that that will actually make us choose to not send some emails, and certainly not to copy everyone else on those email chains. And I pray that the humility that we have before God will also evidence itself in our EGM. the, The way we meet together as a family speaks volumes of our heart condition before God. And I pray that our EGM together might be characterized by humility by, by uh, a genuine understanding that we all are beggars who have received God's grace. We're not entitled to anything, but, but we are complete recipients of God's grace. And I, I pray that that truth will really transform how we interact with one another in our meetings together. You know, EGM, you know, G should stand for grace, not general, extraordinary grace meeting. It's good to remember that in two weeks' time. Second point, conversion happens when we encounter Christ. Now, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul saw the risen Christ in his glory and, and he heard his voice. You know, Jesus called Paul by name, right? Saul, Saul, his, his old name before he changed to the Greek equivalent. Jesus was so glorious that Paul realizes that he is in the very presence of God himself. He, he calls Jesus, Lord. You know, as a good Jew, this means that Paul recognized that this is Yahweh, Lord, that this person who's appearing to him on the road to Damascus is God Himself. And, and, and Paul knew his Old Testament well. You know, Paul knew from the Old Testament that God had promised to send a chosen one, a, a Messiah who would suffer and die in order to save God's people from their sin. And Paul knew that this Messiah would rise from the dead, demonstrating his, that He's the righteous one, and that his death accomplished God's plan to save sinners. Up to this point in his life, Paul had not believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He saw Jesus as an imposter, as a false teacher leading Jews astray. But what changed is that he saw Jesus alive on the road to Damascus. He saw the resurrected Christ, and Paul realized that if Jesus is alive, then he must be God's promised Messiah, King, and Savior. Now, what's amazing in this story is that Paul once had physical sight, but he was spiritually blind. Now he has physical blindness, but he has spiritual sight to see Jesus. We're saved by calling on Jesus' name, by trusting in Christ alone. And having encountered Christ, Paul is then commanded to be baptized. You know, baptism follows conversion. Baptism pictures what God has done for us through His Son to wash away our sins. You know, baptism is the, is the sign, the seal, and the sign that in, in Christ we have died to our sinful selves, that we have been raised with Him to live a new life for His glory. You know, th- that act of baptism is an act of obedience to this Savior who's called us, and it follows our conversion. So if you haven't been baptised after you've become a Christian, can I encourage you to obey Jesus and to be baptised as, as a sign that you have been changed through, this, through God's Son. You know, Ravi will be baptised next week, uh, so, so do pray for him. Ravi is uh, taking a step of obedience to baptized among us next week, so do pray for him. And there will be other baptisms on December 24th as well. So if, you, if you've not been baptized upon your profession of faith in Christ, I do encourage you to take a step of obedience. Have, have we encountered Christ? Now We don't need a dramatic experience like Paul, but Jesus invites us to know Him through His Word. He, he invites us to, to read His Word and to come to know Him, maybe read the Gospels, or maybe someone brought you here this morning. Maybe you'd like to meet up with them, to read the Bible with them maybe you could attend the screening of the case for Christ. Maybe some of us could invite friends to, so that they can also encounter Christ and come to know Him. And speaking of His conversion, Paul says in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, the sake, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So if we know Jesus, then then do we live in the light of His all-surpassing worth? That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, everything else is rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know, I I think often we're, we're tempted to find our joy and our pleasure in other people and other things, apart from Christ. So, so when we try to find our joy in other things, what do we do? We, we give in to lust. You know, we, we chase after wealth and, and buy stuff that we don't really need. We, we become ambitious for power and influence, for meaning, for recognition. We become ambitious for success, for satisfaction. You know, we, we use people to make us happy. Instead of loving them and serving them. I mean, all, all this is because we've tried to find our joy apart from Christ. And when, when we're tempted with false promises of joy, and you know, we need to speak this truth to ourselves that, that Paul speaks about in Philippians 3. Jesus is our true joy. Jesus is our true joy. You know, everything else is rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Now as you begin to start the, your, your work week tomorrow, or maybe even in the morning, pray, Jesus, may, may you be my true joy today and the rest of this week. May I find in you true satisfaction and contentment. You know, maybe something you write and a post-it and stick it on your bathroom mirror. To shave, as you brush your teeth. Jesus, may, may you be my true joy. Now we see this in Paul's life. You know, how, how this joy of Christ transforms him, which is our third point conversion transforms us. Biblical conversion is to have our hearts captured by Christ so that we love him and we center our lives on him. It becomes our joy. Christ will only be everything to us when God changes our hearts to love Him. So biblical conversion is more than just saying a sinner's prayer.
0: You
1: know, biblical conversion is not just walking down the aisle and, and making some external profession of faith. You know, b- biblical conversion is not just making a, a decision for Jesus. You know, biblical conversion goes so much deeper than that because we can do all these things. You know, we can say a sinner's prayer, we, we can walk the aisle, we can make a decision for Jesus. We can do all that, and and yet, after that, go back to life as normal, as though nothing has changed. But that's not conversion. Conversion is a a supernatural, divine work in our hearts. Conversion is, as as we heard earlier in the service, conversion is that Ezekiel 36 passage, where, where God takes away our hearts of stone and gives us hearts that love Him, hearts that truly follow Him, that, that's biblical conversion. It's something that God must do. You know, it's like my pay scale. I, I can't convert anyone. We can't convert anyone. This is something that only God can do. And this is what God did for Paul. Now, throughout this passage, we, we, see, we see how Paul has changed because of the gospel. Uh, we, we see Paul willingly suffer for the sake of the gospel. You know, when the Christians at Caesarea, this is in early part of chapter 21, when the Christians at Caesarea said to Paul, hey, hey, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. Please do not go to Jerusalem. You know, we, we've received a prophecy from Agabus. You will be arrested. You will suffer. Please do not go to Jerusalem. What does Paul say to them? I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, why would a rational, human being willfully placed himself in danger, in a place of suffering? I think it's because Paul was transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see Paul's suffering in different ways in our text as well. You know, he's misunderstood, he is falsely accused, he is treated unjustly, beaten and arrested. And in all his suffering, Paul was simply walking in the way of Jesus. Now, we we too will suffer if we walk in the way of Jesus. Following Jesus means sharing in his suffering, and and this could mean people will misunderstand us, people will accuse us falsely of things, people will treat us unjustly, in some cases even beat us, in some cases even kill us. No, why? Because we are called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And we're called to suffer these things because Jesus himself suffered these things. So, so if you find yourself misunderstood, falsely accused, treated unjustly because you're trying to be faithful to Jesus, you are in good company. You are in good company. Jesus himself walked in those steps. So, so, so don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. In fact, this passage tells us that Jesus identifies with us in our suffering. And notice what he says in verse 7. He he confronts Paul and he says, Why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting the church? Does, Does he say that? What does he say in verse 7, chapter 22? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? let's, Let's apply this for a moment. Jesus says that how we treat His people, Christians, is how we treat Him. That's a sobering truth, right? Jesus says how we treat Christians is how we treat Him. I think we can think of many, many ways of applying that truth. If we love one another, we love Jesus. If we speak badly about one another, if we hurt one another, if we gossip against one another, we do those things, not just against one another, but we do those things against Jesus. That's how closely Jesus identifies with us, His people. And and this should really move us to, to treat one another in a way that shows that we love Jesus. We belong to Him. We are His body. He is with us in our trouble and trials. And, and because He's with us in this profound and intimate way, He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can trust Him to make all things right. If not in this life, then certainly in the life to come. When, when Paul encounters Christ, he responds by obeying his new master. You know, he says, what shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? Later on, Paul sees another vision of Jesus, this time in the Jerusalem temple, still in verse 17 to 21. Jesus sends Paul far away to the Gentiles. Like Isaiah the prophet who says to God, here I am, send me. God appears to Paul also in the temple, and Paul also obeys God and goes to the nations. Now, this this change in Paul's life is remarkable because this was a former Pharisee they were talking about a former Pharisee who regarded the Gentiles as unclean but now God is sending him far away to Gentile lands to, to people like us so that we can hear the gospel. And even though the Jews rejected Paul and saw him as a traitor, he still loved them. You know, he still wanted them to know Jesus. You know, Paul was free in Christ. He had every right to not practice any Jewish customs but he of his own accord, he lived like a Jew in order to win his fellow Jews to Jesus. You now He says in Corinthians, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. I mean, Paul is an example of what it means to, to know Jesus and in Him to die to ourselves, uh, to die to our self-centeredness, to, to die to making our lives revolve around me. No, Paul died to himself, and, and, and because he died to himself, he was set free to actually love and serve others. Paul is an example of how we, we give up our rights in order to serve others for the gospel's sake. You know, what, what, what does that look like? It means parking off site for some of us so that others can, who need these spaces can park at the building. Right? That's a way you give up your right in order to serve someone else. You know that there are many Sunday school teachers who are not among us because they serve tirelessly uh, with our children. You know, they they are giving up their rights to gather among us regularly in order to serve our children. So next time you see a Sunday school teacher, just give thanks to God for them. Yeah. Thank God for their willingness to lay aside their rights in order to serve our children. Think about volunteering yourself to be a Sunday school teacher so that more people can bear the load of serving in this way. You know, giving up our rights in order to serve someone else looks like forgiving others, where I bear the cost of someone's offence against me, and and I forgive them because I'm willing to lay aside my right so that I can love and serve them. That's what it looks like. in our workplaces, it could mean sacrificing time to to have lunch and to meet up with our non-Christian colleagues. I'm giving aside, I'm laying aside my right, so that I can serve my colleagues, to build relationships with them, to get to know them. You know, even though I know it's a cost to me in terms of time, but I'm willing to do that uh, to serve the people around me. I mean, that, those are just some examples of what it means to to lay aside our rights in order to win people to Jesus. And Paul did it, and I pray that we, we too will do the same. You know, the, the story of Paul's conversion is, is not just a feel-good story. It's not, it's not like a nice Hollywood movie you watch over Christmas, you, know, you feel all warm and after that you kind of forget about it for the rest of the year. No, the, the miracle of Paul's conversion is meant to point us to this God who works miracles, to this God who transforms our life by His grace, This God who is strong to save. And and the good news of the Gospel is that Paul's story can be ours as well. His story can be ours as well if we believe in his Saviour, if we believe in the same Saviour that saved Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I pray that as we hear about Paul's story, I pray that we too will come to know Jesus, to know Him more and more, and to live for Him as Paul has lived for Christ. Let's pray together.